And that's okay. Question for you uh, to start this morning. I can turn me down a little bit. Um, if you could change one thing about yourself, would you do it? Okay, we got we got an emphatic yes from the back. Uh, wasn't expecting that actually. Thank you. Um, if you could change something about your character, or the way you do things, or the way you don't do things, and I had this. I should have got one of those. Is it Office Max? The easy button, Home Depot, or something? You know, Office Depot, Staples. Thank you. I should have got one of those easy buttons and had you like you could like have come up instead of taking communion. We would do like. Push the easy button if you want to change one thing. about Anything you're sick of? Anything you're, you're just tired of? I want to do this, actually. I, I kind of want, uh, some, one of you have already volunteered, yes, you'd like to. I'd like to give you a chance to, this is church. This is it's good for us to do this in church. Church is a place where we can confess, right? If you want to change something in your life, if you wish there was something different in your life, with your character and how you do life, I want you to raise your hand right now. I think it's good to do that every once in a while. Um, we are, we're going to start a series. We kind of kicked it off last week with Digital Sunday. Some of you maybe saw that. But we're, we're starting a series this morning, really starting a series this morning, where we're, we're diving in on the Sermon of the Mount. Um, and, and we're going to spend some time. I'm not sure how much time we're going to spend in it quite yet. But as I'm outlining what we're going to talk about in this sermon series, I want to spend some time on the Sermon on the Mount. If you're not familiar with the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus, it, it's Jesus' most famous sermon in the Gospels. It's in the Gospel of Matthew, the very first book of the New Testament. Matthew 5 through 7, those chapters, those three chapters, are the Sermon on the Mount. And it's, it's Jesus, it, and there's, so there's been a lot written, like holy smokes, a lot written on what the Sermon of the Mount, on the Mount is all about. But the, the, the main way that I look at it, and I'm going to encourage you to kind of look at it as well, is imagine if Jesus was running for president and this was his stump speech. These were like, like you know how like there's uh, the can presidential candidates have their issue? I can't, what is it? What is that, what is that called? When their platforms. I, I forgot this a couple weeks ago when I was preaching this too, but like, like their, their platform, G these are Jesus's platforms, and he's very clear, like, like painfully clear on what he wants his kingdom to be like. See, everybody was looking for the Messiah, this, this savior, this person that would come and save Israel from the, they, they, what they thought was from the, the, the thumb of the Roman Empire. Jesus thought Jesus had a totally different idea of what saving the world would look like. But they were longing for this Messiah, looking for this Messiah, and hoping that Jesus was the Messiah. And Jesus kind of seemed to not um, deny it. He didn't quite out, he wouldn't quite go out and say it at this point in time that he was the Messiah. But he, he, was, he had Messiah written all over him. And people were like, are you it? And he's like, yes. And, and, and if I'm it, this is what I want my kingdom to look like. If, if, if Jesus was king, this was what his kingdom was going to be like. Now, here's why this is so important. Because you're like, okay, what does this have to do with me wanting to change something about myself? 
If you, this is, this is my promise, if you, if, as we go through this series, if you put the time in, and when I, when I say the time in, I mean coming and, and, and join, you know, joining us for this series or, or you know, sticking with it with the podcast if you're not here, that's part of it, but a, a, a bigger part of it is twofold. You spend time reading the words of Jesus, these words specifically. You spend time really digging into them because you'll read them and you'll be like, at first glance, you're like, I'm not sure what that means. And you've got to dig to, to understand it. If you put the time in to do that, you will change. Like, it sounds weird to almost make it a promise, but I just, I can't see a way around it. These words are so powerful and so challenging you will look at life differently. You'll look at your life differently. You will think of yourself differently, and as a result, you will change. Martin, David Martin Lloyd-Jones writes this about the, the Sermon on the Mount. I have two David Martin Lloyd-Jones quotes and two Andy Stanley quotes today, okay? By the way, David Martin Lloyd-Jones, I think of that, like, that's either like a, 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 like a black preacher from the South or a, a, a really old white preacher from England. He's the latter, okay? David Martin Lloyd-Jones writes this, if you want to have power in your life, and you guys just kind of raised your hand and said yes, if you want to have power in your life and be blessed, go straight to the Sermon on the Mount. Live and practice it and give yourself to it, and as you do so, the promised blessing will come. Again, there's that promise, like, like if you do, and this is almost, this is like borderline health and wealth gospel here. Like, if you do this, you'll be blessed. And the reason that he can say that is because we're not going to look at the very first portion of the Beatitudes today, or of, of the Sermon on the Mount, which is the Beatitudes today, which is, I don't know why it's called the Beatitudes. I'll do a book report and get back to you on that, because I don't know the answer to that. Probably should, but don't. Um, but if you look at the very first lines of chapter 5 in Matthew, it's blessed are fill in the blank. Blessed is this person. Blessed, and this word blessed is really hard to translate. It means like to be happy, to be joyful, to be, uh, I, I read this week that it, it, it has to do with being blessed means people envy you. They're like, man, look at what they have. That's a blessed person. The reason that David Martin Lloyd-Jones can write this and say, hey, if you want to have power in your life and you want to be blessed, go to the Sermon on the Mount. is because it starts with Jesus saying, blessed are those. In other words, Jesus wants you to be blessed. He wants his desire for us in his kingdom. He starts with it is that we would be blessed, that we would be happy, that we would live full and fulfilled Lives, lives where we're not tired of the things that we wish are different about ourselves. He wants us to have that life. And here's, here's the thing. We're going to, the, the reason, what, what I'm hoping for, my goal with this, with, with the Sermon on the Mount and doing it, like Tori said, in 10 minutes, clock has not started yet. Thank you very much. Is, is I want to today, I want to go through the, the, the overarching, like the whole thing, all at once, to cast a vision. Everybody say the word vision. Vision is one of the most powerful things in our lives. 
and, and, and I don't, we, it's not a word that we use all that often. It's not something maybe we think about. But look, when you are accomplishing something in your life, it's because you have vision. You're, you're thinking about something that you prefer, you wish was different. It's a, vision is just simply your preferred future. And when, you're, you know, when we have good vision, we pursue it and, and we get the most out of ourselves. And that's why I want to just camp on it today is just unpack this. And, and I want us to put away our vision for our life for a second and, and really look at the Sermon on the Mount and, and see what Jesus' vision is for our lives. And when we do, we'll be able to focus and we hopefully we'll see something that's beautiful and see something that we maybe want to go towards, whether we consider ourselves Christians or not. That's what we get to do this morning. This is my Andy Stanley quote. You ready? Vision is about what could be and should be, but life is about right this minute. Okay, so vision is about what could be and should be. Like, oh, man, I wish life could be like this. You know, life, no, I want to say more. Life should be like this. Life should be like this for our kids. You know, like, like when we take our kids out of school, put them in another school. It's because with this vision, we, it should be something different. You know, when we decide, hey, I'm going to lose weight. It's like, no, I want life to be, it should be, it could be like this. And if I make a change, that could happen. Vision is about what could be and should be. But life is about right this minute. And that's why this is so important. That's why the Sermon on the Mount is so important. Is If we don't take the time, if we don't, I, I was on a walk this week with a good buddy. And we were talking about this. Like he, he had just had something happen in his life where God like really like, like, like showed up in his life. But we were talking about how if we don't take the time, if we don't just stop and, and like, if we just let life be life, life, the, life does not happen the way we want it. We have to break it up. And here's the thing. As we read the Sermon on the Mount this morning and we blitz through it, it's going to pause life. It's, gonna, it's going to challenge the way you live life. Every single one of you, those of you that, that are not sure if, that, if this is true or not, or you're like, I'm not sure if that one point that Jesus said, I'm not, I don't understand what that means. Or you're like, no, I've, I've read this. This is how I want to live my life. No matter who you are, what, this, is going, this is a chance for you to kind of break the monotony of life, take a pause, and, and see if the, catch Jesus' vision for life and see how it fits. I almost started this, the, the sermon this morning with the story of Cinderella, with the whole shoe thing and putting on the shoe and seeing if it fits, because it's kind of like that. Like, we're going to try this on this morning, this, this garment of the Sermon of the Mount, and it's going to feel tight. It's going to feel like, is that, I don't know if that fits. And I hope you stick with it, because the vision that we can get from on the other side of it is worth it. So, without further ado, who's going to do my 10-minute thing? Who's going to clock me? Someone will clock me? Yeah, I'd love that. Thank you. All right, thank you, Dan. All right, so here's, here's your, this is the Sermon on the Mountain, 10 points or 10 minutes. And um, it's, uh, this is also designed as a reading guide. I, I, the reason I printed it up and didn't just put it up on the, up on the slides is because I want you to take this with you. If this is this is um, this will help you as you maybe decide to read this on your own. Um, this is yeah. So take this home with you. All right. 
This is not, ex- it's not um, exhaustive. This is just like 10 things that I grabbed from the Sermon on the Mount. Um, but this will help us get into it. All right, ready? You got my timer? Okay, go. So, we're going to talk first about our attitude towards our enemies. Jesus talks about this in Matthew 5, 38 to 42. And he says, it, basically, he, this is the whole passage, like, um, this is the whole passage where he's like, turn the other cheek. If somebody at, asks you to walk one mile, go with them two, that kind of thing. I heard that this is a really interesting thing. Here's the thing. When it comes to your enemy, Jesus would say, you know, if someone strikes you, turn the other cheek. And I've always thought that so they can strike you again. And it, it, it has that implied, but the cheek actually in, in ancient world as well as today, is, is that's where a kiss would be given. And Jesus is saying basically in such a, he's like, respond in such a way to your enemies that it leaves the door open for relationship, that you could come to a point and, and embrace each other once again. Does that make sense? That, that they might, like you could, yeah, that person who's wronged you so badly, they could, you could get to the point where they could kiss you on the cheek and that would be okay. Isn't that interesting? That's what turn the other cheek means. Treat your enemies in such a loving way that you might win them back is the second point on our sheet. The other thing I want to say, respond in such a way, the first point, it, it, that it wisely leaves the door open. Obviously, don't, you know, stick around with somebody who's like a jerk to you all the time and it's a codependent relationship, abusive relationship. Just get out of that. But, uh, but in the future, as your, your relationship towards them is leaving the door open, the possibility of relationship, that's what Jesus would say about our enemies. Let's look at what he would say about our relationships. And this is the part where he says, if you, if you, if you say that you hate your brother, you've, you've murdered him, you've actually murdered him. You know, you've heard it said, um, i, I got to find it, hold on a second. This is on murder. You've heard it said that it, uh, people long ago do not murder, but I tell you, like, he's going to kick it up a notch. He's going to say, if you hate them, you killed them. If you, in your heart, have animosity towards somebody where you would wish them harm, or you would treat them in a way that's derogatory, or that would be the, demean them or belittle them, you, you're, you're killing them. And, and you're like, I, I remember, that, like, it's like, how can that be? And here's Jesus' reasoning. If murder is wrong, so are the seeds. See, that's why, like, like, Jesus was entering a world that was very much focused on behavior. Like, the law was important. And if you could keep the law, and there was two groups of people. There were people who were like, I'm keeping the law, I'm keeping the law. And then there's another group over here that are like, you guys keep the law. I am so, I, I'm gone. I'm a goner. You know, like, I, I can't even keep the law, so I'm not even going to try. We still have that happening today. We have people that feel good about themselves because of their religion. The law, we'll talk about that in a minute. And then there are people who are like, I, I can never even, I can't even get close. And, and what Jesus is saying, listen, he's, he's, this is a level setter. I almost, I almost did this today. I almost put a, um, a, a rope across this at 10 feet, the mark of a, I either wanted a basketball hoop or a 10-foot mark. And I was like, all right, let's all jump and see if we can touch the rope. And, and, and laws do this. If some of us actually could touch the rope, potentially, some of us wouldn't. <laughs> it's just a funny mental picture to think about, but wouldn't even get close. And that's what the law was. There's people like, no, I can do it. I can do it. And if you work hard enough, you can do it too. And Jesus is like saying, okay, you've heard it said murder. We're going to put the rope 100 feet up. And then, yes, of course, some people can jump up to 10 feet, and some people can only jump to 7, but they all look ridiculous trying to jump up to 100. That's kind of what Jesus was going here. He's like, with the, he's like this is a, it's not about behavior, it's about heart. 
And if bad things are going on in your heart while you're doing good things, that's not a good thing. We all know what it's like to do something good for bad. You know, to study for school in such a way that you just feel better about yourself or to show off in front of your friends or like hold it up above people. That's not cool. And Jesus is saying what's happening in the heart, like your behavior, yes, that's important, but what's happening in your heart? And if murder is wrong, so are the seeds. Let's keep going because this is in a similar line of thought. Sexual integrity, Matthew 5, 27 through 30, where he says this, you've heard it said, do not commit adultery. But I tell you, anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery in his heart. It's like, how, well, that, that is impossible. How can that be, Jesus? And it's the same thing. If, the se- if, if adultery is wrong, the seeds are wrong. And he's saying this with sexual integrity. Don't give your body to somebody unless you are willing to give your entire life to them. Through marriage. For Jesus, that meant marriage. Don't, don't, give your, don't be willing to, to unite with somebody with, with your body unless you're willing to give your whole entire life to them. That's the kind of love that he wants us to do. He's, he's, he's um, um, romantic love that he's, he's, he's putting before us as the goal. That's pretty tough. Let's keep going. Speech integrity. Let your yes be yes always. He's like, don't, you know, don't give oaths. Be careful with the whole oath thing, which we don't give oaths now, but there must have been some sort of oath system back then. He's like, basically, if you, just, if you say you're going to be there, just be there. Guys, can I tell you, I am horrible at this. Some of you, no one, no one's surprised in the room. You guys know me well enough. It's like, I, I just, I, I'm in the moment, and I'm late, and, I'm, and it's, be, let your yes be yes, always. This one's hard for me. Uh, let's go down to number five, giving to the poor. This is the whole, be careful how you give, you know, be careful of your acts of righteousness before men and how that's seen before men. This is the whole, it, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. And it's like, it's like this idea of like as your right hand, like, like your giving should be so not secretive but just so private that, that as your right hand gives it, your left hand doesn't even know it's going on. And, and then and it says that, that, that God will see, you, see what you give in secret and he'll reward you. And if you, don't, if you don't do it this way, your reward's already there. He's basically saying this, you know, when it comes to giving the poor, don't overlook it. Just do it. Don't overthink it. Just go and do it. Be generous. If you have more and somebody has less, just be generous to, to them. And then here's, here's the other thing that he's pointing out with the whole right hand, left hand. And, and there's, he talks about this guy who goes to the temple and like, oh, look at me. Oh, look at how much I'm giving. And, and he's like, that guy's already gotten his reward. Because most people give to the poor in a condescending way. Don't do that. Most people, as they give, they're like, you know, this person, they were really having a hard time. And I helped them out. Again, we can do good things in really crappy ways sometimes, can't we? Like, well, they, you know, without me, they'd be, just don't, and Jesus saying, don't do that. Just be, A, see po- if you see poverty around you, do something about it. B, and do it in such a way that it's discreet and dignifying to those who you're, you're giving towards. But be generous. Give away 10%, 15 20% of your, like, like the biblical model would be like, Give a lot, if you, especially if you have a lot to give, regardless if you have a lot to give. Let's keep going. Worrying. This one's really interesting. He says, don't worry about tomorrow, what you're going to wear, what you're going to eat. You know, there's the whole sparrow thing. Is a sparrow, are not sparrows sold for a penny? 
but not, none of them fall to the ground with your Father in heaven noticing. So don't worry about your life and what you eat and drink and that kind of stuff. Love and trust God so much that you don't worry. Trust God. I think this, the important word there is trust. Trust God in such a way that, that, that life's worries kind of just melt away. Here's another way of looking at it. This, I heard this, and this is really challenging, too. Worry is actually a form of pride. You ever thought about that? Worrying is our way. You think you, you know where you ought to go in life, and God isn't keeping up. God isn't getting it right. God isn't keeping his end of the bargain. If God was really God, then I would. Or, you know, they, it, it sounds less prideful. Like, honestly, worry can feel pious sometimes. It can feel virtuous. Oh, my gosh, I'm just so worried about them. My, my kids, I just, I love them so much. I worry, uh, <laughs> you know, and it's, it's, it's miserable. It, it's, not, it's not trusting God. It's, it's, it's actually a form of pride. Oh, that hurts, Jesus. That, that, that's, that's hard to pill to swallow. Matthew 7, 1 through 6. Let's go to the next one. Attitude towards others. This is that whole don't judge others, which is the really, this, is, this has got to be like the most quoted Bible verse in secular America right now. Well, Bible says not to judge. And it's true. And here's the thing. The, the Bible does, just because we're not supposed to judge doesn't mean we're not, we're supposed to stop thinking critically. You guys understand the difference? Judging somebody is thinking less of them because of what they do. Being critical and thinking critically is like looking at their life and saying, I want that or I don't want that. Or, man, I, that's, that's not a good thing. I, I care for them, and I see where they're going, and, and through critical thinking, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to help them. See, but, but judging is criticism without humility is what we wrote here. That's when you know you're judging somebody when you're, when you're very, very aware of what they do wrong, and you have no humility about it. In fact, if you're really honest with yourself, you don't even, you, you're, you're very aware of what they're doing wrong, and you don't really care if they do it differently. That's judging, and that's fault-finding without love. You don't love them enough to actually wish them well. You just like thinking about their faults. Ooh, ooh, isn't that like, it's like picking up a rock with a whole bunch of worms underneath it, or a log that's like wormy and creepy crawly, and, and then realizing that's your heart. When you think of this kind of stuff, isn't it? It's hard to think about. Last one. And I put this one last even though this is actually he starts the passage with this. A relationship towards the world. We just unpacked this really a lot like three or four weeks ago in church. Salt and light. Jesus' vision for you and I, if you consider yourself a follower, a Jesus person, is that we would be light in the world. That the, the world would be a better lit place if we're there. Just a better, you know, like if you've been in a room that's really dark and then you get good lights and like this is a wonderful room. That's what it should feel like when we walk in the room. Salt is, is of course, flavor, but it's also preservation. There should be a, a preserving factor because we're in a company, because we're part of that family. We're part of that club. There's a preserving factor. And here's the thing. Our, the default of the world as the world goes down and gets worse and worse, as people's lives implode, is the, the default, the world's attitude is like, well, that sucks to be them. 
That's too, I guess that's too bad. They, they really screwed up on that one. And I wrote this, our, fault, our default attitude towards people's lives falling apart or failing should be to step forward, not recoil back. That's what it means to be salt. That person's life, that, have you ever thought to yourself, man, they're going through a hard time. Life must be dark right now for them. What's your knee-jerk reaction to that? Is it like, whew, I hope they do well. Be praying for them. Or is that, I, I, to take a step forward, I better reach out. I better call them. I better, let's see if they can have lunch. I, or, like, through prayer, like, Lord, reveal to me who this person is so I can speak words of truth into their life, of, of their value. Is that your attitude towards other people failing? Most people move out or, or, or lean back. Christians move in. That Christians should, should, should engage when that's the case. That's the Sermon on the Mount in 10 minutes. How'd I do? It took 15? 13. All right. Well, close, close enough? I felt faster than that. Well, I'll work on it for next week. Do you see... It makes you squirm. And if it doesn't, you're not reading it right. <laughs> if it doesn't, you, you, it, you, know who, you know who is tempted to not squirm when they're reading the Sermon on the Mount is those of us in the room who have read the Sermon on the Mount the most. We've gotten too close to it. We've gotten too comfortable with its words. It, it, it's so lofty. It's so high. It's so, I don't know. And it's, guys, it's designed to be that way. I went on a run yesterday with my 13-year-old daughter. She's in cross country. And it's crazy. I've been coaching at the, at the middle school for cross country. Coaching. Let's put that in parentheses. Because um, I don't really know what I'm talking about. But I just make them run and stuff. And, but here's the thing. Is like three, only like Right now, it's early in the season, only like one-third to a quarter of the kids can actually run two miles without stopping and walking. The first race is on Wednesday, so you can pray for us. It's going to be interesting. But the reality is, is as we push these kids, and, and I, I just said to my daughter yesterday, I was like, we are going to go run a mile, just the, two miles, just the two of us, because your next race is probably around two miles. And we're going to run it at the, your pace uh, I'm not going to push you, but I want you to run the whole time. She couldn't do it. Her knee locked up, muscles cramped, and she was discouraged. And, 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 and I was like, hey, I know you're discouraged, but I'm not. Because we, we pushed. We went for it. That's what this is. That's what these words are. Is Jesus saying to us, running alongside of us with these words, if we will allow him to. These words are him running alongside us when it comes to our relationship with the world. For, for running alongside of us when somebody wrongs us and they slap us in, in, in the face, literally or physically or metaphorically. And our temptation is just to wallop them back. But he knows if we wallop them back, guess what they're going to do? They're going to wallop us back and then it's World War III. Right? That's how it works. And Jesus is like, what if there's a better way? What if you posture yourself in such a way in this relationship that, that you're open to relationship, and when they come back, you don't say, I told you so? 
you don't look at them and say, say oh, that's kind of cool, you want to get back, and you play it cool and be like, well, maybe next week. You see, Jesus, Jesus, this is Jesus' way of running alongside of us as we're trying to hit the two-mile mark, and we can't. But we keep trying, and we keep going. Why? Because it's worth it. Because it's better on the other side of trying to live this than just being like, screw this, never mind. Just, and just living life and letting life be life. Second Andy Stanley quote, ready? The greatest motivator of change is a crystal clear vision of what the future should look like. Oh, I would change that for what we just did. The greatest motivation for change in your life is a crystal clear vision of what your future could be like. And that's why this is so important. That's why this is so important. Because again, raise your hand. If you want something to change your life, raise your hand. The best thing to change towards change in that. And by the way, I'm I'm raising both hands with you. As I'm like presenting and and preparing this this morning, I was like, God, can you please change these things in my heart, please? I would love for this not to be a thing anymore. And this is the path. This is the road. And the motivator, best motivator motivator for change is a crystal clear vision. And this is Jesus saying, I'm trying to make it as crystal clear as I can of what this could look like. And and at first it just looks like a whole bunch of this and that, and that's mean, and I'm like going to get crushed under that. But the reality is, just stop and pause and think of this. Look at these ten things. Look at this list again. Imagine if your family of origin, the family, if you're an adult, and the family that you grew up in was this. That their yes was yes, you know? That, that they were generous with their money, that, 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 you, that your mom or your dad didn't worry about a whole bunch of things all the time and, and make everybody crazy. That, that the way that when, when one person wronged the other, they did everything they could to leave the door open for relationship. Imagine a school students that's like that. I, this, I know it's like this is impossible. Imagine a middle school or a high school where like everybody treats the, the, each other this way, that looks at each other with such value, like, like the, way, the reason why they, they're so serious about their words and their thoughts towards another, like the, like the, the seeds of murder, the seeds of murder are, 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 what's the phrase when it comes to murder? Um, if murder is wrong, then so are the seeds. It, it, like, like because, that, because the way we're looking at each other, we're valid, we don't want to do that because that person's a child of God. And every, every person we come eye to eye with is, is I'm, I'm not better than them. I'm not worse than them. I'm, I'm a child of God, and so are they. And so, therefore, I, I treat them with value and dignity. Imagine if a school was like that or your working environment was like that. Imagine a world like that. In fact, let's back up a second. Skip the world. Imagine if the American church by itself just took Jesus seriously and lived this, strived to live this. What would change in this country? What would be different? Oh, my gosh, it would be marked overnight different. And that's what Jesus is driving us towards. He's trying to give us a crystal clear vision of what your life can be what my life could be, and what our lives could be together if, if, if we were to make him king 
and step into his kingdom, his way of life. I dare say it'd be blessed. And that's why I'm pushing, like, 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 there's always pushback, like, okay, but why do this? This seems like such a downer. It seems like so, but it's, it's because, honestly, the reality is, is you and I are on happiness quests, not truth quests. 90% of the time, we're operating in such a way, we're more concerned about our happiness than, you know, I need to find the truth in my life. I'm just being honest, for me at least. And Jesus is saying, okay, cool, come be happy with me. It's better over here. He's drawing lines in the sand and saying that the way that you're doing life, that, that's destructive. It hurts you. It hurts the other people around you. So come live life fuller. This is Jesus' vision for his, our highest and happiest life. And the question is, is will we even, will we take the time, will we pause our day, our weeks, to even stop and look at it? Stop and reflect on it. Stop and, and see ourselves in the face of it. Here's my second Martin Lloyd-Jones quote. Talking about the Sermon on the Mount. Read it and study it. Face yourself in the light of it. In other words, like, step into the light of it. Let it shine on you and make you feel like, ah, I don't know about that. It will drive you to... to See your ultimate need for the rebirth and gracious operation of the Spirit. And going back to that analogy of like the hundred foot string that we'll never reach. The, the truth is we'll never reach it. But here's what's beautiful. This is not, uh, here's another beautiful thing. This is, and I, I was kind of geeking about this in my studies. But Matthew, Matthew wrote his gospel to a Jew, Jewish audience. Like a primarily a, a Jewish Hebrew audience. So there's a lot of nods and Easter eggs for the Jewish reader. One of them, for sure, is the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount is it's on a mountain. Jesus gathered the people up to a mountainside. And for most Jewish readers, they, they, like, like the, the, the astute Jewish reader would see that and then seeing you know, after reading the contents would notice that's a lot like Mount Sinai. And if you're familiar with the Old Testament, the, the law of the Lord came to, through Moses on Mount Sinai. Mountains, like, we're mountain people, right? Mountains are actually really important in the biblical world, in the biblical themes. Mountains play a role a lot, and I love it because I love mountains. But Jesus is basically saying, come on up. Come on up to the mountainside with me to a higher way of living. And then he gave these, these things, and it was very, it's very, you've heard it said, you shall not murder. That's one of the Ten Commandments. You've heard it said, you should not commit adultery. That's one of the Ten Commandments. He's, but he, basically, he's giving his, not the new Ten Commandments, because the Ten Commandments still stand, but his version of the interpretation of this is when we go towards life and, and, and when we go towards law, see, law makes us feel dumb. It can make us feel indignant, like, ha, I got it and you didn't. Or it can make us feel really dumb and shameful. And Jesus wanted to change that. In, in, in Jesus' side of things, with, with the Sermon on the Mount, instead of the law bringing shame or indignation in different people, Jesus' law brings grace and space. Isn't that good? It gives us grace and space. It, Jesus says, you know, you can't reach that, that hundred yard, the 100-foot thing. That's all right. I died on the cross to pay for that. 
So all of that, like, like you, your sins are forgiven. We're not doing this. You're not living this way so that Jesus loves you. He already loved you. He died for you. He proved that on the cross. He's doing this. He's saying he's giving, he's giving us grace so it's not our works that get to him. But at the same time, he's like, but at the same time, life is better over here. So I'm giving you the space and the time to get better. The space and the time, and I want, I'm gonna, I want my spirit to live in you so that you can grow in me. And here's the thing, guys. I want to encourage you because as you look at this, you, you're gonna, you might feel a sense of shame, and you need not if you are in Christ. If you believe that Jesus died for your sins and you've accepted that, you have the space, meaning the rest of your life, to just simply step into this beautiful, wonderful kingdom. And as you fail and fall, there's grace along the way. Isn't that wonderful? Isn't that great? Isn't that a fantastic thing? That, that we, we, it's, it, we don't, we're, not, we're not doing these things because there's a gun to our head. We're doing these things because he loves us and he wants good for us. Grace and space. So this is what I want you to do this week. It's that simple. I want you to face this. Step into the light of this. Submit yourself to it. Subjugate yourself to, to a portion of the Sermon on the Mount. And if you do, it will change you. It will change you because it, it, it will challenge you. It will make you think about your life and think about what you want out of life. And as a result, it will cast vision for your life and you will change. So here's my application. Take this home and then... I want you to, with your Bibles open and this sheet in front of you, Bible in hand, one hand, this sheet in the other, which one of these would you like to be changed by and shaped by this week? Isn't that good? Which one of these, like as, as you're reading these, some of them you're like, I'm not sure about that one, or like that one doesn't really do much for me, but there's probably one or two that you're like, you know what? I would love this to be true in my life. And let it shape you. To give your, create space in your life to, to sit down and not just read what's on this page, but read the corresponding verses that go with it. And let Jesus walk alongside you, run alongside you, encouraging you to run faster, run stronger into the better life that he has for us. Let's pray. Lord, I am so grateful that you just, you didn't just leave us high and dry. I'm just struck by the wealth of, of, of your word, of, of the Bible, this book that I take for granted all the time. Thank you. Thank you we have it. Thank you that we can read it. Thank you that we have minds to, and, and, and the power to stop our lives and, and to, to really think about them. And I pray for me and my friends as we do so this week that you would change us, that we would step into your kingdom, that in the weeks to come as we unpack each of these just a little bit more, that you would be at work in our hearts. And as a result, we would take steps towards your kingdom. Pray all this in your name. Amen.